Hello, everybody. Welcome to the HodgePod, episode eight. Good to have you guys with us, with me today. Going to be talking a little NBA post-draft and free agency reaction in regards to the Charlotte Hornets with producer Mike once again. And in the meantime, though, I want to break down the Carolina Panthers' most recent installment of the 2020 NFL season. The Carolina Panthers beat the Detroit Lions today by the score of 20-0. to That is right. They shut out Detroit at home. Held them to a minuscule 185 yards total. And they did it in convincing fashion, ladies and gentlemen. It was a uh, sloppy game, to say the least. The Panthers had a lot more penalties, and they still managed to win. They also had more turnovers, and they still managed to win. So it was very herky-jerky game. And it was fun to watch as a Panthers fan. I'm not going to lie. I was I enjoyed it. I did not have expectations, once again, taking care of myself, and it was nice to sit back and let the game come to me, so to speak, and just enjoy it. So yeah, the Panthers shut out the Detroit Lions. So with that, all that being said, I am going to do my three winners and three losers for this week. Here we go. So, for the losers, I am going to start off with the Detroit Lions offense. Now, the reason why I use the Detroit Lions offense is because they were shut out. They did not score any points. But not only did they not score any points, they did not score any points against a Panthers defense that in their previous four games had forced teams to punt a combined two times, ladies and gentlemen, two times. And they forced the the Lions to punt six times today. That's three times the total of punts that they had forced in their previous four games combined. Guys, the Lions were in playoff contention. They still are technically in playoff contention. And they could not score a point on this Panthers defense. That is tragic. And I'm saying this as a Panthers fan, but that, my friends, was a tragic performance. So that will take me to my next loser, which is going to be Mr. Matt Patricia. That is right, Matt Patricia. All right. I know that you guys know, whoever else knows the NFL knows, Matt Patricia is probably going to get fired soon. He's probably going to get fired at the end of this season because they're probably not going to make the playoffs at this point because they put up a goose egg on Sunday against the Carolina Panthers. This was a game they needed to win most likely to keep themselves in the playoff hunt long term, even though they're still technically in the playoff hunt now. But Matt Patricia is uh, this, this really interesting coach. He did a lot of good things at New England. When they were winning championships there, he was a good defensive coordinator, called some good games on defense. A lot of people could argue that this was his time. This was this job, him getting this job was not, uh, he, he earned it and deserved it. And so I'm not going to sit here and act like he doesn't know what he's doing. He's this awful, terrible head coach. That's not true. He has shown in the past to be successful at what he did. And with Bill Belichick as his mentor so to speak you were thinking that he was going to come into that program and make a difference 
Now, the way that they went about getting rid of Jim Caldwell and bringing him in looks way worse now because Jim Caldwell did a great job there. Going 9-7, and a couple playoff appearances, really good, solid head coach. And it, they, look, hindsight is twenty twenty. They should not have let him go. They should not have hired Matt Patricia. And now they're paying for it. He's probably going to go. Which leads me to my last Panthers, uh, my last loser, the Panthers red zone offense. Yes, that is right. They the Panthers won this game twenty to zero, but they went two for five in the red zone, and they had two interceptions. So that they did enough to win the game. I'm not going to harp on it too bad, but having two really bad interceptions in the end zone like that, those are. Those can be momentum killers in bigger games where the score's closer. They can it can really, really kill a game for you. So they need to get better at that. And PJ Walker, I'm sure it was, you know, it was his first game starting. I will say that. Quarterback PJ Walker. Teddy Bridgewater uh did not play today. So quarterback PJ Walker came in and he did an admirable job admirable admirable, sorry guys, admirable job. And but yeah, those those things need to be cleaned up. Which, now, this takes me to my three winners today. My three winners are, starting with number one, DJ Moore. (laughs) DJ Moore had an awesome day. Seven catches, 127 yards. He was all over the field on offense. He looked fast, physical, explosive. Everything the Panthers thought he was going to be when they drafted him. And he has shown that previously in games. So it's not like this is the first time we've seen it before. I know that I have been critical of him at some points and also really happy with him at some points. He is shown to be a really good quality wide receiver. Doesn't look like a Hall of Fame receiver necessarily. I mean, he could still evolve into that. He he is a little too inconsistent sometimes. Some games he's he's not around. I know that with wide receivers that's kind of hard because they depend on the quarterback to get them to to get them the ball. They don't make that decision themselves all the time. So not always his fault, but today he had an excellent game, 127 yards. He is, he is having a sneaky good season and yeah. So good job, DJ Moore on to my winner. Number two, number two winner is the quarterback again, PJ Walker. And I wanted to give him uh put him on my winner's list because first start as a pro and getting a win like that, it wasn't the prettiest, but he had some magnificent deep throws in this game. Let's let's set the record straight. He had some really good-looking touch on his passes. At times, I thought he did a great job playing. It's just those red zone interceptions. And honestly, the interceptions looked a little bit like miscommunications. So almost like things that he would be better at by now if he had been starting all season, you would hope. And, yeah, it's really hard in the NFL to come uh, off the bench, so to speak, and start a game. So, yeah, good job, P.J. Walker. Now, on to my last winner, Brian freaking Burns. (laughs) Brian Burns was a monster today. He was so good, and he is looking like he could be an all-pro defensive edge rusher one day he was just awesome guys I mean he had four quarterback hits two sacks today one tackle for a loss one pass defense and five total tackles he was great and he was a bit he led the charge for that defensive line 
getting five sacks. So a five sack day is great. And it, you know, sacks are, are kind of a weird stat in the NFL to me because they don't always tell a story within themselves. Like the, that if you were to look at the total sack numbers each game, it doesn't always indicate sheer dominance defensively. A lot of times QB pressures does, but today the Panthers got their sack total up and it was really nice because they had been struggling to actually get the quarterback down in recent weeks. So Brian Burns, excellent week. That is my three winners and three losers. And now me and Michael are going to talk about the NBA, especially the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA, drafting LaMelo Ball at three and signing Gordon Hayward in three in free agency. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a busy week for the Charlotte Hornets, and me and Mike get into it. All right, so Mike and Dave do NBA draft recap and NBA free agency. Hello, Mike. Thanks for having me back, man. I'm excited to be on. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So the NBA draft happened this past Wednesday, and it went how a lot of people thought it would go, which was for the top how... Three. Well, it was kind of like, it was kind of a snooze fest, man. No trades. Everybody was talking about all these trades that were going to happen because all these teams were motivated to trade down, but nobody really trade down till traded down till later. So yeah, we had kind of a, kind of a snoozer first, first 12 picks. Um, we are going to get to the Charlotte Hornets selection of LaMelo ball, but outside of that, were you shocked or surprised by anything in particular? I wasn't surprised by anything. I will say this, the closer that we got to the to the draft, like I mean even throughout the day and getting like right up until go time, there was a part of me that was actually hoping that we were going to get James Wiseman. And when I say we, I mean the Charlotte Hornets. Uh I think there was a safety in that pick that I kind of felt, you know. Uh but seeing but when we selected LaMelo ball, when the Charlotte Hornets selected Mellow ball, I was, I was, uh, I felt good, man. I felt, I felt good about it. I felt, I felt good about it. I, I, I think that we, that the Charlotte Hornets are in a position to have their first, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, their first rookie of the year um, in LaMelo ball. Man, I, I would have to do a Wikipedia search to, confirm or deny that that would be the case well the thing is like if if there was one like we would be ringing it from the rooftops so we <laughs> you know, know what i'm saying that is true because del curry won a six man of the year one year and the hornets treat it like he won the mvp so that's what i'm saying like that del curry yeah, that's is like true. the yeah like he's he's one of the voices of the hornets and all this other stuff like probably off of the strength of that 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 one you know, award that one accolade, right? Like he's never going to be in the NBA hall. He's never going to be in the basketball hall of fame. Uh, so, but he was the sixth man of the year and he played for the Hornets at the time. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Uh, Larry Johnson, one rookie of the year in 1992. Okay. Oh, okay. So, Interesting. So grandmama did it. So second ever rookie okay. of the year, potentially, okay. potentially. Uh, but no, that that was a deep dive, so I wouldn't expect you to know that. But I mean, I didn't even I didn't even remember that was the case. Um, yeah, a couple things that stood out to me. So one, if anybody on here uh, listening follows college basketball, not having any 
players selected from Duke, UNC, or Kentucky in like the top, like the top half of the draft? I think, um, let me see here. Looks like when Cole Anthony went at 15 for North Carolina, that was the first like blue blood wow. to go in the draft at 15. So that was kind of unprecedented. You know, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it was pretty, that was pretty wild to me. And the Duke guys went later than what a lot of people thought they were going to go, going to go with Vernon Carey going to the Charlotte Hornets at 32 being their first selection in this draft. That was pretty wild. Um, I thought the OB Toppin pick to the Knicks might honestly be like, he, he was like the sentimental story, right? Cause he was from yeah. New York and he was like, you know, there was a lot of emotional stories and everything, but he was like, oh, he's going home to play and everything. He, that was the thing. I know we were trashing the Knicks last time. And that was like me thinking like, I actually kind of like that pick for them at that spot. So I don't know. I, I'm not saying it's going to work, but it seems like it's just kind of something about it seems right. If you think about it from the standpoint of, of the, of the fact that, Nobody is, nobody is a hundred percent on was a hundred percent on any of the picks in the draft, right? Even as the draft was kind of going along and guys were coming off the board, nobody was a hundred percent about the next pick. There were some places where people had Killian Hayes as the best player in the draft. There are some mm-hmm. places where they were saying that you know uh, they were saying that Onyeka was the you know best big man in the draft and he he went sixth right and so when i think when you break it down like that you can't really fault them for the pick at the same time i think one of the things that the and and i read the i read the uh the i don't know you know you call it an op-ed but i read the piece on espn about obi toppin and his he has a really great story from the standpoint of like you know, growing, you know, like he just shot up like throughout his, throughout his, uh, his high school to college tenure and developed all these skills and all these different things. And so there's a certain level of it. That's like, man, he might actually end up being pretty decent. I think I can empathize with the New York Knickerbockers because they're in the same place that the Charlotte Hornets were a couple of years ago when it's like, please stop drafting power forwards. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That, that, that was a good thing. Another pick I liked was was the one I just mentioned, Colt Anthony going to the Magic at 15. I think he could end up being really good if he gets more and more disciplined in his game. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch. And I feel like the story of the draft outside of the top three picks was the one that the one thing that I keep seeing and hearing is the whole Tyrese Halliburton falling to 12 for the Sacramento Kings and falling to 12 or orchestrating a 12 number 12 pick. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, the story, the the book on, on Tyrese Halliburton was the fact that he pretty much was telling teams not to draft him. Yeah. And but that they there all was do like, that. well, but he was like, he was he was essentially from what from what I was has been what I've been hearing and and reading in places, Tyrese Halliburton almost orchestrated that he there were certain teams he did not want to go to, and because of that he didn't even go work out for them. Well, that that's happened before. Like Miles Bridges didn't want to go to the Hornets, he refused to work out for him. 
but they still drafted him. Yeah, I hear you. At the same time, it seems like he wanted to go to the Kings, which is a weird thing to say, but he wanted to, well, not that weird because they've got a young core that, you know, when you pair him, when you pair uh, Halliburton up with, uh, uh, with a point guard up there, I don't know why I'm forgetting his name. Fox. Yeah, when you pair him with with Fox, you've got a pretty nice young core. But at the same time, at the same time, it seems as though there were some there were some specific teams he was not interested in going to. That hasn't come out as to what those teams were. Uh, but it almost feels like it almost feels like we could be looking at this draft of uh, five ten years down the road and realizing that Tyrese Halliburton was a clear should have been the clear number one pick. Yeah, potentially. That's what people have have said about him. He has the tools to be great. He was kind of like that um, rising name, so to speak, going into this draft. A lot of people liked him, thought he could end up being great in the NBA, that his game really fit the NBA. And a lot of a lot of what I'm seeing too is Denny Avia falling to nine was was a little unexpected, but a lot of people saying that Tyrese Halliburton would have been like a perfect fit for Phoenix, but they drafted that power forward from Maryland that mm. was kind of everybody thought would be there later. And a lot of people were saying that Phoenix probably could have traded back, still gotten that player and let somebody else pick Tyrese Halliburton at 10, which would have created more trade drama. <laughs> but it reminded me of the whole Frank Kaminsky situation. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the exact same same thing. So if if this kid, uh, his name is Jalen Smith, that Phoenix drafted. Now, Phoenix has kind of a squad with Chris Paul playing there now, Trevor Booker. 100%. And everything. They, they yeah, looked at, they want to be uh, contending for a playoff spot in the West. Um, so hopefully this kid, I don't want to sully his name um, in terms of like his ability. Uh, hopefully he comes in and improves the doubters wrong and ends up being better than Tyrese Halliburton. But yeah, that that'll be bad. And it, and it gives me, uh, gives me some, a little bit of PTSD when it comes to Hornets drafting. <laughs> so yeah, that was funny to even double back on, like on talking about the Hornet selections, you know, I, I now granted this was super late in the draft, but I, I did not understand the, the drafting of Grant Riller, uh, whatever i guess i don't there's a part of me that doesn't believe he's gonna really have ever have playing time he could maybe i I'm, maybe i'm 100 percent wrong but you know from our days at you know at appalachian state there's a hard time i have a hard time seeing you know a kid from the college of charleston being uh being worth a whole lot in the nba but hey i'm not i'm not who, a draft who would you have picked there instead well that that's the, that's the question it's the end of the draft i don't really know you know what i'm saying however the more that i look at this vernon Carey pick and the more that i look at kind of uh what he's able to do and stuff like that i'm you know i kind of like it man and and you and i were texting and you mentioned something about big al about something totally different which we'll get into later but watching some videos on him made me think that maybe this could be like a he kind of seemed like that you know and and at first the first thing that I thought about him when I was uh, watching some videos on it's like man he kind of looks a little slow afoot as it were uh uh you know but at the same time I was listening to our uh RJ Bell sorry Raja Bell uh talk about uh talk about the fact that he knows the kid and he wasn't 100% sure that Duke was the right pick as far as college school for 
Vernon Carey. Yeah, he was uh, a really high recruit. Yeah, and supposedly Vernon Carey uh, has a lot more tools than Coach K was using from the Vernon Carey toolbox. So I'm interested to see because this is probably this is the I I would I I think this is probably the first in a long time. <clears throat> excuse me, like true blue center that we've had that we've drafted at least that we've drafted. He, so the thing that intrigued me the most about him was the fact that he was such a high prospect coming out of high school, going to Duke and the fact, well, the obvious need there, the, the Hornets needed a big and he lost 33 pounds before the draft, before the draft since college, his college season. Isn't that crazy? Like that's so much weight for somebody who's playing sports all the time to lose. Could you imagine if your life is a college basketball player, you are always practicing, always exerting physical wow. energy, the kind of diet he had to go on to lose that much weight. That, that must've been crazy. So uh, you got to wonder if his footwork is going to speed up and it, and his, his bot, his frame is slimmer. I'm sure he's going to be able to kind of get up and down the floor a little bit quicker too. If he's 30 pounds lighter, we're going to have a fast team if he makes the active roster. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he will probably spend time with the Swarm in Greensboro, I would, I would imagine. I would imagine Grant Ryler or Riller, what, however you say his name, will, will live in Greensboro at least for his first <laughs> couple of years if he makes the team. He may right. not even make, I mean, that's the thing, a late second round pick like that. I, see, I was, I'm surprised, like looking back at it now, the late second round, I, I wish it would have been fun if they would have traded up for one of the Cassius's, mm. either Cassius Winston from Michigan state or Cassius Stanley from Duke. But at the same time, like, I mean, Grant Rail, Grant Riller could end up being like a rotational player in the NBA for years and those other two guys not make it that far. You just never know with how these guys evaluate talent, not saying it's foolproof. Yeah. I mean, but you just, you just don't know. So with all of that being, Oh yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, With all of that being said, that leaves us to our big, uh, big discussion point, so to speak. LaMelo ball getting picked at number three. What's your, what's your, overall thoughts i'm excited i'm excited man and and i saw not long after the selection happened i saw a tweet from the guys that bring back the buzz uh, and their their twitter account and uh they said that Lamelo ball will tear the hornets fan base apart in half and i 100 agree with that like i that that is 100 gonna happen i think especially this first year and in years to come, I think he's going to be a gunner. Uh, it'll be it'll be a surprise if he's not, and he's going to throw up a lot of bad shots. And they're going to be people who are Lamelo Ball stands. And then they're going to be a lot of people who are <laughs> who are going to hate the ground he's he walks on from the time that he shows shows up in a in a Hornets jersey on game day. Like I, I think I think that we could see a love hate relationship on the level of Cam Newton in Charlotte uh, as, as people have, as, as we could possibly see uh, uh, for LaMelo ball. Yeah. Very polarizing. He's an extremely 100%. polarizing player, probably the most polarizing player 
in this draft and probably more polarizing than most players in most drafts just because yeah. he's been famous since he was like 12. Yeah. One of the things that I hated, he was. yeah. One of the things that I hated about his byline was that they were talking about, um, they, they gave, they listed like a couple of interesting facts. And then I think this was from the Hornets Twitter account. And one of the last little nuggets was that he has 5 million, million, uh, Instagram followers or something he like has that. Like 6 million. Just, yeah. Well, it probably has more. Yeah. A lot more now, <clears throat> but I was just kind of felt like, and like, what does that have to do with what he produces on the court? You know what I mean? I didn't, we're not, I didn't we're not think, drafting a Kardashian. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I didn't think that that was a big deal, but then somebody, I heard somebody say like, I can't remember who it is, but they use somebody else's example. They were like, but this person has like 2 million Instagram followers. I was like, Oh, and I can't remember who the person is, so it doesn't give context, but it was somebody I thought was more well-known mm-hmm. than LaMelo Ball, you know? So that that is an interesting fact of this. Like, um, But is, it, what does that have to do with the court? Oh, it doesn't have anything to do with him, his play and everything. But just the sheer fact that he is so well-known creates a lot of polarization. I mean, he's yeah. already been on a re- reality TV show. Like, he's already... still on. <laughs> Oh really? God. I mean, I don't, I don't watch it. You and I, neither, neither of us are on Facebook, and that's where it airs. His so. his dad, for a period of probably six months, was the biggest clown in professional, in like sports broadcasting. Still is. He's just not talking. Yeah, but these networks aren't giving him a free platform anymore, <laughs> which yeah. is uh, you know good on them because it, it was it was ridiculous there for a little bit, and yeah, I mean. He, the kids, he seems like he's taking it all in stride. He seems pretty level-headed relatively. Um, so that, that'll be cool. I, I how much like, do you, how much, uh, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but how much do you put into this whole, like, he doesn't interview well? I mean, I, that, that was the whole thing about him. Like a lot of people were out on him because he didn't interview well. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. He's that. See, here's the thing with me in this, like, Okay, he has such an interesting high school career, right? Because he played like one, like two years of regular high school. Then he went to Lithuania. Then he went to this like basketball academy in Ohio. And then he, you know, his one pro year was like half a season in Australia. And I, he just, and like, if you, take the macro view of that and look at like, Oh, he's already been playing pro ball for a few years. You would think that he's more mature, but when you actually like bear down on it a little bit, like he was in Lithuania playing in this like startup league that is like for basically that his dad was trying to work out. Right. And so I, I wonder how much, um, I don't know what the best word to use is. I wonder how much structure he had there. Uh, along with the Ohio situation, I think it was more structured. And then this Australian league, you know, it's hard to get a beat on what that was like. Some dudes say it's actually competitive basketball. Other people say he's playing with like drywall people and plumbers and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I think it's, it's kind of hard. Like you, you just don't know. I'm not saying he didn't have a structured environment around him. I'm just saying, like, I don't know. Like, so it's hard to know what he has been surrounded by the past four years with so much transition in his life and not having, like, consistent coaching and stuff like that. 
Yeah, I understand that. I can, I can hear that. I think what I always, what I found interesting about that commentary uh, against him, I guess I, I should say, was the fact that it. I I don't. I again, I I feel like there are a lot of arguments that are levied levied against people that don't actually make sense when you talk about like hard nosed facts about basketball. Yeah. Like if he's giving one one or two word answers then he's probably not a great podcast guest, but we're not drafting him to be a good podcast guest. That's yeah. That's kind of how I, that's how I look at it because I'm like, I, I do think persona and charisma matters, especially when it comes to putting uh, somebody so young in such a powerful position. Uh, so I do think it, it matters to some extent, but at the same time, like he is 19 years old and he mm-hmm. has, lived all over the world for the past three years like what what are they expecting him to be right out of the gate and as far as in an interview and everything i i mean honestly the way the draft fell once anthony edwards got chosen once he was the pick i was like oh so this is gonna kind of slot right into place wiseman going two, ball going three and I, i don't fault them for making that decision because you know it was pretty clear cut that they were gonna go with one of those three guys whoever was they're sitting at three yeah. that's yeah. what the the whole word was but yeah yeah i think that i there's i don't know i i also think that we have gotten really spoiled as fans we've gotten really spoiled as fans and and what i mean by that is this when lebron james came into the nba uh at 17 however old he was when he came into the nba he was he was a kid but he was a fully formed man yeah. Like you look at some of his first interviews, like fresh out of high school, like he was he was talking as if he, he was a grown man. Like he looked like he had had four years of college. And what you're talking about with a kid like and and, and I think from then what you see from a lot of of uh, draft picks, what you see from a lot of draft draft prospects is you see kids who have been preparing for this moment their entire life. And so the media training is there. Like you look at, at interviews with Anthony Edwards, uh, and he is he is polished, right? And he is uh, and he's and he is articulate and all that other stuff for a kid who has one has had one year of college, right? And and then you look at uh, you look at you know kids in the past, even like a Jason Tatum's of the world, the Jalen Browns of the world. You look at all these kids, even Kyrie and all these other like since LeBron was the model by which every other draft draftee. Um, was able to to emulate right like they were ready for prime time especially the high draft picks when they came into the league i think what you get from a lamello ball is he breaks that mold a little bit because he is not that polished in that regard right like he has the media training from the standpoint that everybody knows him and he knows how to engage with people on social media at the same time he's not a corporate polished guy yet and i think and i think you know, it shows that we're a little bit spoiled in that regard because I don't I I would venture to say that a lot of people prior to the drafting of LeBron James were not really that polished. I think you even look back at, at uh, old interviews of like even Michael Jordan when he first came out of college. He wasn't like, you know, he wasn't the Michael Jordan that he was three years in the, into uh, into his tenure yeah. with the Chicago Bulls. He definitely figured that that whole PR game out a little bit better once he got. Yeah, you know, more famous, but at the same time, dudes back then and and really before LeBron didn't, there wasn't that same LeBron changed media coverage of the NBA 
100 multiple, multiple times when he was drafted because he was the first ever dude that fr- straight out of high school that was hyped as much as he was mm-hmm. and then so just the way that people cover high school and prep basketball nowadays changed because yeah. of him because and these kids have cameras in their faces all the time yeah they didn't used to before him and so yeah he he did he did change a lot of that stuff that's a good point i think i think with lamello i just can't i can't come down on a 19 year old for not being polished like you're talking about 100 even though i don't think it looks good on him or anything i don't think it's something to just completely throw away but at the same time like the thing that i that i wonder is like is he going to come in there and grind and work to get better day in day out weekend year in like that those are the guys who succeed in the league is the dudes who grind and the guys who work hard in the other ones so is he, is, is he going to do that? I don't know. But the, the thing that I'm excited about is what I said last week, which was he is a different kind of player than the other guys in that he does a few things really well already and that the Hornets are going to build their team around that, around the, the way that he can play with pace and pass and all that stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's fun, you know? Well, at least that was the feeling when on draft night that that's how the Hornets were building their team. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I mean. That's what it seems like now, even with the Gordon Hayward signing. <laughs> He's got somebody to pass it to. That's that's kind of how I saw it. Yeah. Um, I mean, who knows how much of a how much of a step that Gordon Hayward has? But but continuing on with the draft. Yeah, step. we can get into that in a little bit. But yeah, so I I think it is it was the right pick at the time. And I know some it's like, you're saying he's a polarizing player. So you're going to see even some analysts say they love the pick. They hate the pick. He was the best, uh, most boom or bust prospect in this draft. You know, some people had him rated number one. Some people I saw had him at like number nine or something like it, it stinks that the, the Hornets got the number three pick in this draft and not next year's draft but they can't control that at this point. Um, but here's the thing. Here is the thing about, uh, about what I like about the drafting of LaMelo ball. One of the things that I like about the drafting of LaMelo ball, and it, and it goes back to our conversation last week. The fact of the matter is that because of how the draft fell, nobody, not an analyst, nobody can fault the Hornets for picking who they picked. Right. In years past, there are teams and the Hornets have have surely been in that situation that have been that have been laughed at, been ridiculed for being uh, for doing something like picking Anthony Bennett with the number one overall pick. You know what I'm saying? Where where there's a lot of Adam Morrison with the number three overall pick. Exactly. Right. Where it's like everybody's like, what are y'all doing? You know what I'm saying? And in those kinds of situations you can look back on it and it's like, people didn't like that pick at the time, right? In this this kind of situation, even if Tyrese Halliburton pops, even if all of these other guys pop, like there are a lot of teams that you can't fault for not picking Giannis when he was, you know what I'm saying? Like he probably, if you redrafted today in that draft, Giannis would probably be the number one pick, hands down, right? At the same time, you can't fault so many of those teams prior to Giannis 
uh, picking uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, especially in the top three or whatever the case may be, for not picking him when he was not the consensus number one pick. He hadn't grown to the point where he is now, literally from a physical standpoint, and his skills hadn't gotten there yet either. He wasn't fully formed when he was picked at the time. At the same time, uh, at the same time, I think uh, we are in a position as the Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets are in a position where you can't really fault them for their pick because everybody was saying that the three top picks in this draft, Anthony Edwards, uh, James Wiseman, and LaMelo Ball, in whatever order. And regardless of how that fell, we needed to pick one of the three of them. Otherwise, it was going to be a crapshoot of like, if we had picked if we had picked Tyrese Halliburton at three, some people would have been like, you know what, I actually like that pick. There would have been other people, a lot of other people who would have been like, what are you doing? The best player at that point was was uh, LaMelo Ball. And it would be five years before we could try to prove out whether or not that was the correct pick at that number. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And that's what I think is like, okay, are you going to pick Patrick Williams at that with that third pick? You know, he went next to Chicago, and he was he's actually a kid from Charlotte. So it would have been a cool story. But at the same time, like, Lamella was the pick there. So I, I'm with you on that. Like, it made sense. I don't think you can really take anything. Uh, like, I don't think you can take what they did in drafting him and say it was a terrible decision. Right. Because I just don't see the player right now who warrants them taking them over him. Now, in a few years, yeah, one guy might develop into this all-NBA all-star, but right now they would have to make some giant leaps in different parts of their game, you know, and, and it's basically a team getting lucky, right? Yeah, like 100%. That was the thing. Uh, I think uh, the Donovan Mitchell draft – you know, the Panther or the Panthers, sorry, the Hornets picked a few picks before that, and they really liked not Donovan Mitchell. And a lot of the local media at the time were saying, I think Donovan Mitchell should be who they pick. And they picked um, Malik Monk instead. And now we know how that's gone ever <laughs> since then. It has been it has been two completely different directions. And so you didn't, I guess all that to say, you didn't have a situation like that where a lot of people were like, they should draft this guy instead of Lomelo Ball. It was really more so, do you stay at three or do you trade up? 100%. Like that was the the kind of weighing the options. And thankfully, they didn't give up too many assets to trade up because I think that would have been pretty silly in this draft. Did you hear that Anthony Edwards is clocking in at 6'6 now? Yeah, he grew. That that's pretty wild, but at the same time, once again, these kids they're they're 19 years old, so they're exactly not fully developed yet. So you know, and and he you can't really be that that mad at the situation because he also went number one. There was like no way that we were gonna you know be in the position to draft him. Yeah, once, once the pick was in. Yeah, and who knows who knows what's ha- what happens with him. I think the the interesting thing with all this because you know I was actually talking to my brother in law about this, and he he likes the Hornets, but he was saying. He doesn't like LaMelo Ball because he doesn't like the Ball family, and he thinks that even if LaMelo Ball ends up being good, once he can, he's going to jet to L.A., which I think I'm like, okay, that makes perfect sense. I could definitely see that happening. But the fact that LaMelo Ball like, and his people were like, were much more excited to go to Charlotte than they would have been to go to Minnesota, apparently they wanted to go to Charlotte a lot more than Minnesota. 
in the first place. They they wanted to go to Golden. They yeah, they wanted to go to Golden State more. Obviously, I mean you instant contender and everything, but um, the fact that he wanted to come to Charlotte makes me think like okay. At least we have a shot if he ends up being really good to keep him. I don't I don't know if I should really plan on that at all or or worry about it too much at this point. Just I guess the the thing to do is just hope that he ends up being good and then we'll figure out the rest later. One hundred percent. That's it. Yeah. Like that is one one hundred percent what I was thinking, in the sense that like we have to get out and when I say we I mean fans have to get out of the mindset that uh that you know, we have to find a player who wants to be here for the long haul. We, we got to get out of that. We got to. We got to. Because we had Kemba, and he was like that, right? We had Kemba, yeah. and he was willing. But he also wasn't the upper echelon. He wasn't a superstar. No, he wasn't a superstar in the league, right? And and there's – unless we just start gangbusters winning, it's going to be a crapshoot every time we draft as to whether or not a, an excellent player is going to want to stay here. That's just, that's just the way that it is for a market like Charlotte, right? Should we be on the level of an Atlanta to where people want to be here? Maybe, but at the same time, we don't have the history of where you can look at like a Dominique Wilkins and all that other stuff and then the culture of an Atlanta versus Charlotte and so forth. Yeah. Can Charlotte be that? Sure, maybe one day, but today it's not. I think at the same time, at the same time, like we're on that same level unfortunately much better city i've been to i've been to the city but you know we that charlotte is a much better city we're in the same level from a market standpoint as a cleveland which is unfortunate when you consider how much there is to do in the state of north carolina not just ohio but like <laughs> like not just like a specific city but in the state of north carolina there's so much more to do and you know and so much more enterprise and stuff like that and when you talk about some of the tech uh, capitals of the united states like two, three hours down the road is Raleigh, right? And, 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 you know, you could get into venture capitalism and all that other stuff. So there's so many different opportunities that you can have in, in, the, in a North Carolina space than you can have in Ohio. At the same time, like we are a market that has a reputation and therefore we're going to have a hard time overcoming that reputation unless we get aggressive and get good quickly to where a, uh, uh, a, a prospect cannot have any reason to not want to stay here. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. it's it's the reason why – and even if we do, there is still no guarantee. The Oklahoma City Thunder were, was is a good franchise, still is, and Kevin Durant left. Yeah, but that – yeah, yeah, for sure. You know what that, I'm saying? Yeah, no, it, it sucks, man. I, I still hate that decision that he made. I mean, it's his 100%. decision, so I can't – I mean, I can't force him to do – what he felt like was right, what was right for him, but it, it frustrated me. I think I thought it was lame. Like, why are you going to leave the, this team that, like, you, you know, I, I get it, but no, I, Charlotte is the, and we're, that's we're going to talk use, about, we're going to talk about him later, but Gordon Hayward left Utah. Yeah, but that he had ties to the coach and stuff like that. I mean, it's still, still lame. Wasn't, he should have stayed wasn't in a bad, wasn't a bad situation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you that that looked bad and it, and it looks awful for him now because he probably could have been on a team with 100% and Rudy Gobert. Um, so yeah, the, the, the Charlotte to Cleveland comparison is really funny because all the people from Cleveland move are moving to Charlotte. So it's, uh, it's pretty hilarious, but no, Charlotte is, is now a mid market, uh, city if you want to call it that mm -hmm. they are not a they're not really a small market anymore 
judging by how many people have moved in that area, it's one of the fastest growing cities in the U.S. has been for a while now. And, and just like the state of North Carolina is in general, um, there is a lot of market, a lot more marketing opportunity in Charlotte, I think, and the surrounding areas than there was 10 years ago. And if Lamella Ball or somebody like that is smart, they will see that because if you can, if you can do something for this franchise and in the city that nobody's ever done, it will, you know, put you on a pedestal for sure. And I think that, you know, whether it's him or somebody else, uh, I, like I said earlier, and like you agreed with, you can't worry about it now because not at they, all. they just have to try and win, I think at this point and um, see what happens where, you know, when the chips fall, like see, see how it ends up. But if, if that is the case though, just like Anthony Davis did in new Orleans and, and other big stars have done in other, other smaller markets, it, It'll be frustrating, but it'll be kind of like one of those, like, can't say we wouldn't, wouldn't have seen this coming, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And, and we have to put, uh, as, as an organization, the Charlotte Hornets have to put themselves in the best possible position to succeed as quickly as possible with the hopes of becoming a team like the Portland Trailblazers. That is, that is the quintessential, uh, well, and then maybe the Toronto Raptors. That's the quintessential small market team to emulate. Well, ter- that's kind of weird because I mean, technically, Toronto is a huge market and it's really a massive market. But yeah, in regards in to like Portland is a <laughs> tiny market, and even compared to Charlotte, it's a lot 100%. smaller. So th- those vibes are different. It's different for Portland though, because that is, but, but their- not from the standpoint of like an NBA city though. Like I don't think there's a lot of a lot of NBA players who are trying to cape for Toronto. They like visiting. They don't like staying. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. It's not a destination place. Right. But there's only three places in the league that are destination cities. Exactly. So and nobody I, wants to go to one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so the, the funny, the, that is hilarious. But like, referencing the New York Knicks. Yeah. So the that's the thing is that, it, and it's what makes the Lakers winning a championship so frustrating is because they didn't do anything right. And they still, <laughs> they still made it work out for them. Um, yeah, man. I mean, ultimately the Hornets will be, uh, their job is harder than other NBA franchises to put, not just a winning, a contending team on the court, but a winning team, Right because you have to overpay people like Gordon Hayward to come play for you. Um, and it just creates problems. Uh, so that I will be interested to see how this works out the next few years. And like we said, regardless of what happens, it's going to be interesting, which is really nice because we couldn't say mm-hmm. that a few months ago. Yep. <laughs> I mean, unless you were like really knee deep in basketball and just loved watching Devonte Graham, and PJ Washington. Um, so I don't want to hate on them. They, they had good years, but uh, hopefully with LaMelo coming in, running the point and uh, we'll see what happens the rest of this free agency period. But I think the Hornets will be a lot more fun and exciting this coming season in the next couple of years. Hopefully that's the hope. Mm-hmm. So with LaMelo ball slotting into the Charlotte Hornets, 
lineup. You, do you think, oh, by the way, before we get much further uh, away from the draft, what do you think, do you think the Hornets are going to play ball? Like, do you think they're going to start him day one? They have because, to. But this season is so weird. Like, it starts in like a month. They have to. Even, like, with how bad he is on defense. They have he, to. If he's that bad on defense. <laughs> they have to. And, it, and I mean, they, they have to. Like, I, I don't see a situation. Why? Why sit him? This is like the Miami Dolphins. Why are you sitting to, uh, to a tie below? And I don't mean to step on, you know, your, your football stuff that, that you do a great job of and you generally do it with other oh, people. Oh, no, it's a, not, we can get I'm into that super, if you want to. No, well, I I'm mean, down. we can, but I, like, I'm not nearly as well-versed in, in foot, talking football as I, as I feel like I am with basketball. But the fact of the matter is, it's like, why? What, what is the intrinsic benefit in sitting him? I don't think it's so much sitting him, but trying to develop the uh lacking parts of his game so to speak by sitting him not by sitting him but by either letting him run with the twos or letting him play in the g league for a little bit at the no levels. way no way that that's no <laughs> way no way that that's happening one one the easy i mean and we should not be a, a franchise that is is ruled by the whims of and the words of a lavar ball but do you want him in Charlotte all the time? Because that's what's going to happen if he is in the G League. Well, you mean he'd be in Greensboro all the time? What do you mean? He's going to be in the state of North Carolina all the time if we relegate LaMelo Ball to the G League. Bro, if LaMelo Ball ends up being really good and better than Lonzo, he's going to be in North Carolina all the time anyways. Maybe. He's going to get cocky real quick. Like, he has been humbled. That's a big reason I think he's not he's not so loud nowadays. I'm just saying, man. I, I just I don't see any reason to not play him at this point. Um, and I think that it'll be interesting to see James Borrega put uh, put put him through his paces, right? And to see yeah. uh, to see uh, what the what the kids got. I, I don't personally see much of a reason to bench him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he plays against NBA talent at this point, because it, there's not going to be a summer league. Um, there's not, uh, yeah, you know, there's not going to be killer, a lot of the stuff that we, that we had before. And there wasn't really a formalized, uh, you know, uh, pro day, essentially draft, you know, NBA pro day. So, well, that, that is the, it's honestly what makes this so interesting because it's like, oh, the draft just happened. Oh, shoot. We get to actually watch them play real games in a month. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have to wait six whole months or what, whatever the normal wait time is. But I guess the re the thing that I was thinking, and maybe, maybe they'll just, he'll kind of be more creative with how he does his lineups and switching and stuff like that. Uh, James Borrego, I'm speaking of. It, but I wonder if he'll start and he'll get subbed off like at the end of games, like, cause you know, a lot of the, these like NBA guys, they say your starting lineup isn't that big of a deal. It's really who's closing the game. That's like your most important yeah. like lineup. So I wonder if he's going to get subbed off in, in certain times, especially if they're, if they're trying to go heavy defense. So kind of like um, a little Michael Porter jr. Esque with uh, Denver. Um, and you have to consider that the first part of this year is going to essentially be preseason, right? Yeah, yeah. That's I true. think I think it's going to be a lot of because there's no, uh, there is no, you know, stringent mini camp and all those different things. I, I think you're going to see a lot of 
tweaking with lineups and seeing what works and what doesn't. So he, you're going to see a lot of probably weirdness from a Charlotte Hornets, uh, from our Charlotte Hornets uh, lineups. Because at present, we don't have a whole lot of time to be able to see what could work and what doesn't, especially with so many young guys. We don't really know what they're going to look like, one, by themselves on the court, two, in whatever configuration that the Charlotte Hornets decides to trot out there. Yeah, it is true. And honestly, right now, free agency's not done, and we don't know. We not don't close. even know what the roster's going to technically look like, which brings us to the big free agency signing of Gordon Hayward. Four years, $120 million. Um, there's a lot of money for him, a lot of money. And this is the second time that we've signed him. <laughs> the, yeah. The second time, <laughs> the second time actually, actually worked out. Um, so from what I've seen, the Charlotte Hornets, basically they finally had some cap space and they, um, signed it all away. Uh, but in order to do, to make it work out, apparently they're still potentially discussing a sign and trade with Boston. So at this point, if nothing's come out on it, I'm tending to think it probably wouldn't get done. But it would be nice if they could get that done and maybe get like Zeller shipped out or, or Batum shipped out without having to stretch them. Because that was what the beat guys were saying is they were planning on stretching Batum's salary over the next three years, which means they're still going to be paying Nick Batum for the next three paying him to leave. Yeah, paying him to not be here right now. Um, that would be fr- very frustrating. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, what what do you think about the move? Because I have a lot of I'm, – I'm very torn on this. Um, I, I'm going to start with some macro thoughts, right? Okay. I was what, – what came to mind after perusing Twitter, after peru- like listening to people talk about the deals and things like that, what came to mind was a uh, – a political strategist that I, I uh, you know, listened to from time to time. He worked with uh, on the Hillary Clinton campaigns, and he also worked with uh, with President Barack Obama in a couple of different capacities. Uh, he also was a former congressman in the state of South Carolina, and he is a Democratic political strategist. His name is Bakari Sellers. He's a great thought leader, um, and uh, has a good 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 uh, good show, the Bakari Sellers podcast. He calls the Democratic Party, for various amount of reasons, proverbial bedwetters. And the reason why he says that is because everything is doom and gloom, right? And he was calling them that throughout the, this uh, past election season, because everything, every news story that came out, every Democratic uh, pundit, every Democratic politician, every person adjacent to politics who called themselves a Democrat would, uh, would act as if the world was falling down because one poll came out and said this versus another poll, or this happened versus this, or Trump said he's not going to leave, and or this happened, and well, so on and so forth, right? Proverbial bedwetters. I thought about that when I was reading all the commentary about the Charlotte Hornets after, after signing Gordon Hayward, because that's the only terminology that I can think of to ascribe to uh, Charlotte Hornets fans, as well as media pundits in relationship to how they see the Charlotte Hornets, right? What I don't think is super fair, though it is, it is a part of the Charlotte Hornets' own doing, I don't think it's fair to make it seem as though the signing of Gordon Hayward is akin in any way, shape, or form to the signing of Nick Batum. It is, I, it's not equivalent. You may not like the money, 
but it's not equivalent at all. And really what all you can see on Twitter is, is people saying like, is people trying to continue to uh, continue to, um, from my vantage point, you have a lot of people on Twitter who like to use this opportunity, who want to use this opportunity to make themselves seem like they are the uh, most, uh, the most astute basketball mind on the planet. And, and it's, it's a lazy argument to say, to see this, to see this signing and make, and say that Michael Jordan is the worst owner in, in the NBA. Like it's a lazy argument, right? It's a lazy argument to look at this and say, what are the Charlotte Hornets doing? Because I go back to the conversation that we had last week and I ask you, who else is getting that money? (laughs) Who? Because that is the question that I need everybody to answer for me. If Gordon Hayward did not get that money, of all the people who've just been signed in free agency, who is getting that money? Well, they would have theoretically what a lot of these these people who hate the move would say they would have taken on salary from these other teams in exchange for draft picks just like OKC is doing right now and accumulated more assets and draft picks where's OKC where's OKC going they have a crap ton of draft picks they have a crap ton of draft picks they have a crap ton of draft picks so did the Boston Celtics of all of their crap ton of draft picks that they have had two have worked out yeah yeah I mean like Three, if you you can debate, you can uh, all I'm saying, you can debate whether or not that's a good way to to plan and build your franchise. And and I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's a bad way. It is just a different way. But to say offhand, without any, without any, without any, any semblance of of real data to back your claim, to make it seem as though this is a terrible deal is not real. Is very disingenuous because again. When you're a team like the Charlotte Hornets, when you're a team like, and I, and I can even go back to the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? They paid a butt ton of money to Kevin Love after LeBron James left. They paid him a lot of money, way too much money. Why? Why did they pay him that much money? Because nobody else was coming to Cleveland. Yeah, exactly. Nobody was coming to Cleveland. And since then, they have gotten Andre Drummond to come to Cleveland. They traded for him. And though, right? I forgot that Andre Drummond was in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, bro. Like who? That's what I'm saying. We're talking about. They got about a title, teams. though. <laughs> <laughs> they, they got that title, man. They do. But the fact of the matter is what we're talking about are we're talking about teams, unfortunately, that are in a position where they have to put they have to put up or shut up. And in and, and the, and the same vein with the Nick Batum, we shouldn't have paid that much money to Nick Batum. But I will say this. I didn't like that signing at the time. And I know a lot of people didn't like the signing at the time. But the main reason why I didn't like that signing at the time was if you look at all of his year by year stats, Nick Batum's best year was the year before he got paid. Yeah. Like, by and large, right? And it's the same thing that happened with the Baltimore Ravens, again, crossing over into football. It's the same thing with that, that happened with Baltimore Ravens and the Joe Flacco contract. Did he deserve it because he won a Super Bowl? Absolutely. But if you look at his year-to-year, up until that point, there was no evidence to suggest that Joe Flacco was an elite player. He got paid like one. Now he's like he, he, he's gone to two or three different places, and now he's with the Jets, and he's wallowing in obscurity. Yeah. It's the same thing with like a Nick Batum. If you looked at his year by year up until that point, he was not deserving of the money that we gave him. However, again, who's going to get that money? But at the same time, when you look at somebody like a Gordon Hayward, 
up until these last two years, one could argue that we don't have enough evidence to say that he's not still a superstar or at least a star. I shouldn't say superstar. I'm using that word super liberally, but he is at least on the level of a Kemba Walker up until these last two years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I agree and and I say that to say these last two years have been riddled by injury, not by bad, by uh, poor playing. Mm-hmm. So a couple of thoughts on what you said, and then I'll kind of get into my overall macro view of things. I would, I would, I mean, I agree with you in the fact that I don't think it's fair to compare this contract to the Nick Batum deal because Charlotte, Charlotte is essentially pigeonholed into both, but for different reasons. Nick Batum had his best year in a contract year, the same year in which Charlotte paid or traded assets to get him significant assets at the time, which I thought was a good trade. It worked out in the year that he came. He was our starting small forward and he was great. And I thought, oh yeah, pay him because you're Charlotte. You're not, you're, you're not just going to be able to find guys on the street who can replicate what he did here. Now, like what you're saying, that was an aberration. That was not who he truly was, and he showed that after his con- you know, after he signed that deal. And he, to be fair to him, he was hurt a lot of the times. He had like elbow issues and all that stuff. But I mean, still, like he was bad, like way worse than what they ever could have expected him to be. I look at this Gordon Hayward contract more, uh, more so uh, as like a parallel to the uh what charlotte did with al jefferson back mm-hmm. when they brought al jefferson in right after they drafted mkg at number two which was a we got our high draft pick for the future let's bring in a free agent to carry the burden for now to help this guy develop because we don't want our players developing mm-hmm. in like these on these really bad teams. You texted me this and I didn't want you to expound because I wanted to hear more about it on the show. So I'm glad you're expounding on it. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, and it, and it has some, some tough implications because it's essentially Charlotte saying, Hey, we don't want to be that bad. We want to be just good enough to be competitive, but we're we're not, I mean, just signing Gordon Hayward isn't going to make them good enough to actually compete for any semblance of like a meaningful spot in the East right now. Right. So that leads me into my macro philosophical view of things. I personally am an, I am anti tanking. I think tanking in sports is stupid. And basically I think it's, I just think it's awful. It's bad for the fans. It's bad for the players involved in those situations. Um, It's bad for the leagues involved because it loses them money theoretically you would want everybody trying to be good at the same time. It makes games and seasons more exciting and yeah, it sucks. Um, So on the surface, I liked that the Charlotte Hornets did this because I know it's not going to make them a championship contender this year. It's probably never going to make them a championship contender, but at least it gives them some as a team, it gives them some organizational hope and some, something of a good feeling of like hey we can actually do something this year other than like we know we're going to be bad but how bad are we actually going to be you know what i mean so the thing that i don't like about it is the contract and i'll tell you why it's not because of the principle of like what you're saying 
where would that money be going if it wasn't going to him? It's more so the principle of you finally had salary cap room and now it's gone. It's completely like obliterated pretty much. Mm -hmm. I mean, they will have some room after Cody Cody's contract comes off the books. Theoretically, if they don't do a sign and trade or whatever, but the, the way that I look at it is like, okay, so you went from being a team that had an outlook of, and Mitch Kupchak was very public in saying this kind of like what I mentioned earlier, like willing to acquire bad contracts in exchange for draft picks from other teams so they can accumulate assets in the future to draft guys with. Now, is that a good strategy? I don't know if that's an overall good strategy, but for a small market like Charlotte, where you can't attract free agents other than if you overpay them, like case in point, Charlotte Hornets tried to sign Montrezl Harrell. Did you see that? And I didn't see that, but it makes yeah, they, sort of makes sense. He he turned down more money from Charlotte to go play for the Lakers. I don't fault Montrez Harrell for that. It makes perfect sense. I actually think it like looks good on somebody who's like, no, I'm going to turn down more money to go actually compete for a title. It makes perfect sense. Well, not sense just compete me. for a title. If, I, from, if I'm correct, and I, 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 I've been trying to give you some daylight to, to get everything um, out there, but if I'm correct, the deal isn't like super long unless I'm getting it mixed up with someone else's, which means that if they repeat this year, which – Every indication would say that they will because of the amount of the, how they've loaded up this offseason so mm -hmm. far. Um, he's going to stand to make a lot more money. Yeah, yeah. And that makes sense to kind of like betting on yourself. That's what he's doing. So uh, my overall philosophy is I, I like that the Hornets did this. I don't love it, but at the same time, I don't see what – if you're going to go after free agents, it may it may be somebody else that they would sign, but they're going to be the same type level player where it's going to be like a high risk, you know, low reward move. Because the only like theoretically, just going by the numbers, the only way that the that Gordon Hayward can make this deal look good is if he not only stays healthy, but outperforms how he played before he was healthy and ends up being like a perennial all-star player, which, which I think he can, he, he could, it, but it, I'm not it, it expecting him the, to do that. Yeah. It may be a little harder in the East this year, because I think you're going to have, I, the East has kind of loaded up with, with players at this point. Uh, yeah. However, I do think, uh, I think he could end up being a perennial all-star this year. And, and I hope he does. Like I said, I don't hate this move because who else are you going to get in, in, uh, by extension, yes. Where else is that money going to go? But it seemed like a very Michael Jordan doesn't want to be bad. Like, like I don't want to be bad, so we need to get this done so that we can be somewhat competitive. But if I'm I don't know if that's money motivated or just his his competition side. Like, I can't be. Tr we can't be trash. Well, the question that I have is, what is bad? Right. Like in, in uh, abject eternal mediocrity is bad in, in my in my opinion. But what is bad? Right. Because 
is not just straight up not making the playoffs? Is that what we consider bad and like a no-go? That's not what we want. And Gordon Hayward ensures that we make the seventh seed. Because he doesn't, by the way. He doesn't at the same time, like without Gordon Hayward and us not making a single other move with this with the roster minus Gordon Hayward, I can see us pretty much at with the way that the, the roster is currently built, making the eighth seed. Now yeah, it, may, it it becomes a little it becomes a little bit harder because you know the Brooklyn Nets are one hundred percent going to be back. the the whole uh, the whole uh, Wizards roster is is going to be healthy supposedly this year. Um, I, I think you've got, of course, the, the. I mean, you can go down the line. It's going to be harder in the East. It's it's going to gonna be more competition overall. at the bottom. Yeah, it's going to be more competition, especially at the bottom. And you've got a Hawks team that's like loaded up with a lot of young guys. Um, Plus, Orlando's looking better and better. One hundred percent. Steve like, Clifford is is a good coach. Like exactly. There's no there's no guarantee that that we would we would have that last, you know, pick in the, in the, in the playoffs or that last uh, spot in the playoffs. So the question becomes, why would you do a deal like this? The only thing that I, that I'm kind of thinking through, one of the things that I'm thinking through is whether or not this really is not so much a deal for this year, because I don't know if we're going to be that much better this year. I think we would still be vying in, in the hunt for an A seed. I do wonder if the hope is that in three years you have an aging Gordon Hayward, which aging is relative because he's like around our age, uh, which for NBA standards is aging, an aging Gordon Hayward and, uh, and an emerging LaMelo Ball. So though Gordon Hayward may be at the backside of his apex or even on the downhill of his career, what you may have is a convergence that might makes us make us just good enough, especially if you nail some of these next couple of draft picks might make us just good enough because the, here's the other thing too, that I was, that I was a little upset, not upset about what I was a little apprehensive about is if this makes us just good enough to not be in the running for one of the top picks in this next draft, that makes, that's really sad. I I've just recently learned about this new, like almost developmental style league that the NBA is doing that allows players to usurp college. And there's a kid that they're talking currently is kind of slated in that fourth range, number four range for the draft next year, that if we're bad enough, we could get. And he would be an excellent running mate. I believe his name is like Michael Green or something like that. Um, Gerald Green. Gerald Green. Yeah. Possibly. I, I don't know. I don't know for sure. But you're, you're uh, talking about that NBA, the G League team. That's just uh, basically. That's based out of guys. No, 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 no. These are guys who did not go to college, period or a lot of them didn't go to college and they're getting paid to, to play. That's what I'm saying. That's their one and done year. Oh it's yeah. A, that, they're, that they're is playing their one and done in year. the G yes. league. Yes. They're well, actually getting paid to play basketball, but they're barely, but they're barely playing. Like we're talking about guys, like 25 games, right? 25 games. But then, you know, and they're Did playing, you, uh, they're pretty much staying in California the whole time. You listen to uh wind horse talk about it on Bomani's podcast. Yes. Yeah. That's where I listen to it too, where they're basically like, this is Adam Silver's um, baby, so to speak. It's like Jaylen something. Jalen Green. Jalen Green. Yeah, Gerald Jalen. Same thing, right? Um, 
Yeah, no, that, that is a very, that is a very uh, interesting thing. Just, just with so much NBA talent in the draft next year, you hope that this move doesn't remove the Hornets from, from that situation, you know, because that would be cool for them to get just to draft and develop a, an all NBA, like perennial all NBA player. They've never done that before. 100%. And, and, and we may have that in a LaMelo ball, but to pair that, you know what I'm saying? Like the reason why the Portland trailblazers are super relevant is because they got a CJ McCollum and the Damian Lillard. The reason why the, the wizard Washington wizards, because I don't even know if Washington would be a destination franchise, but if the if the Washington the reason why the Washington Wizards are relevant is because they got a Bradley Beal and a John Wall, right? And if we could get two guys who can run together, like if we hit literally all you got to do really uh, in this day and age to be like super relevant is to hit on two draft picks, you know. And I think that that makes it even much more um, viable that your guys are going to stay, right? It's the same principle as like hitting on a uh, on a uh, uh, on on the on the J guys up in in Boston, I don't know why I'm forgetting their names. Jason I watch them all the time, all the time. Yes, Jason Tatum and uh, and uh, what what is going on with me? I can't remember the guys' names, but the two guys up in in Boston, right? Like you're talking about Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown. You hit on a couple of draft picks, and you allow those guys to be running mates, and then you really have something. It's kind of the yeah. same thing as you've got with like with uh with uh over in in phoenix with a uh devin booker and uh deandre ayton you know what i'm saying so like you got to hit on two two guys who can be running mates yeah exactly so i wonder if they can do that and just build something that is sustainable because at the end of the day i mean that's what you want to do if you're a small if you're not la or or Boston or, or Chicago or one of these teams is, is you need to build something that's sustainable and yeah, hopefully they can do that. Yeah. And I, I just want everybody who is, who is ringing the alarm and upset about this, this, uh, this signing to at, to tell me who is getting that money, who, where, who would they rather have get sent that money to? Because unless they tell because if we didn't offer him that he wouldn't be in Charlotte. Yeah, for sure. Just I he, think, he wouldn't be one hundred percent. He would be in Indiana, or I think there was one other place that he was looking at. But he wouldn't be in Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, correct. And there's and, no definite that we're going to get Demarcus Cousins because people want a big man. And last that last we checked, before he got hurt, he was really good. Yeah, man. I I don't think that it's so much about who is going to get that money. I think it's more about like, are you making the best decisions for your future? And, you know, are you signing a guy for, are you overpaying a guy who's going to get you five to 10 more wins a season when you need 15 to 20 wins, more wins per season, right? Like, that's kind of the way I I'm looking at this, that in that, in terms of that is like, yeah, it's, are they going to, do they have somebody else they would be giving that money to right away? No, they don't. But at the same time, like, Cap space is good to have in the NBA, and now they don't have any of it. And if one of these guys does hit, like, so say that, say that Devontae Graham, they probably should re-sign him this offseason to a team-friendly deal, which they could technically. But say he has a, an even better year next year, and then it looks like a, like, 
potential all-star point guard and they need to get a deal done, but they're kind of hampered because Gordon Hayward has this massive deal, right? Or say PJ Washington (laughs) evolves in like, these are all really theoretical points, right? I'm not saying this is going to happen. It's just like your brother. It's just like your brother-in-law, right? Like it's just like your brother-in-law in that, like if we plan on hypotheticals, we are going to, cause, and, and I, and I hear your point and I absorb your point and I hear, and I recognize that point of the win share. And we talked about this last week in the sense that you, you kind of look at it from a money ball perspective, the win share that we could possibly get with a Gordon Hayward is probably not worth the amount of money that we gave him. However, however, getting to that win share that you're talking about is going like, either it's going to take many more years of mediocrity, if not being terrible or to, to get to that, or it's going to take even more money. And I just don't see any situation in which I just don't see any situation in which that would be viable for us in the next, however, so many years to where we're going to hit that win share without making some big moves and just seeing how it plays out. Because again, I think in the back of a lot of people's minds, it, and it's an easy argument to make, <clears throat> to make it seem like the Charlotte Hornets are always making bad, uh, bad business decisions in, re- in relationship to players. When if we're being really honest, and even by the by your very own, uh, you know, some of the things that you've talked about, that you and I have talked about, their drafts over the last couple of years have not been bad. You asked me my first, when we were texting, you asked me my first thoughts on, on the Gordon Hayward signing. And I said, Charlotte finally got their great white hope. And I was, I said that, I said that because, because the, for like maybe three years, the book on Charlotte was, we're going to try to find a tall white guy. (laughs) And and you, you, you a a big American white <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, not not even not not even a foreign guy. We wanted a white American blue blood from the suburbs guy who happened to be almost seven feet tall. You that's know what, what I'm they saying? Got. That's and and they finally got their guy. Now, granted, like that's an easy joke to make, especially if you are familiar with the Charlotte Hornets as a franchise. But if you really actually look at their draft over the last couple of years, they haven't actually drafted white guys. <laughs> they haven't no. drafted. They haven't drafted that prototypical player. Have they drafted a number of, of you know that small forward, power forward position? Yeah, and they've done that even since going back to MKG. Now, granted, so 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 I say that just to say that there are things that you can knock Charlotte on, but the, even their drafts over the last few years have not been terrible. Like even even when you talk about Malik Monk, at the time people were saying Malik Monk was was going to be the be all end all. Now, granted, I don't think anybody should should listen or believe anything that comes out of Calipari's mouth because he was he was driving that train. And hey, think- he is. I mean, <laughs> you, I will say this: John Calipari. This is the first year in a long time he hasn't, but. For he has put, if you look at a lot of the the best players in the NBA right now, they played at Kentucky. Yeah, I don't think he had anything. And they to do played with that. on, they played under Coach Cal. Yes, they played there under him. It's like saying that. That's like saying that Kyrie Irving was a was a Duke student. Like, yeah, he was. He's a guy who went to Duke University. Yeah, he wasn't developed by Coach K. He would like he. No, was he a, wasn't. I'm not talking about like he's you know this I mean? like. like I'm not saying that Coach Calipari is like this Dean Smith, like great at developing 
in great know, at, he's great at recruiting. He's great at recruiting. And my point is more so evaluating like his guy, the best there. I hear he's that. like, I hear that sees, sees that in guys is that I, that's what speaks to me is when you, when you have consistently year over year, a lot of the better players in the NBA played for him at Kentucky. It, it's the fact that he knows how to talk to those guys and recruit them. And I also would find those guys. Yes. And, and, the, and he has an eye for that kind of talent, but I also think he's a salesman. Yeah. Yeah. Because, for sure. Because just as much as he's selling the guy, like the two guys that he knows are going to pop in the NBA, he's packaging those two guys that he knows are going to pop in the NBA with a lot of guys who they could, they could yeah. not. Yeah. And, <laughs> and to, Malik Monk falls in that could, could not ring. And the, the, Knock against him is he has had how many all pro players played there? How many, how many great NBA players played under him at Kentucky? And he has one national championship and, and not many final fours. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like two or three. Yeah. You're right. So like when you like, it's, it's not like he's, he's out here. Like, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I think he does a lot of selling. He does a lot of selling to the Kentucky fan base. He does a lot of selling to kids when they're coming out of high school. And he's doing a lot of selling to people who are just fans of the NBA, thinking that any guy who comes out of Kentucky is going to be a blue blue chipper. And that's just not the case. Yeah, exactly. But it's crazy to think that Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox and Bam Adebayo were all on the same Kentucky team. Yeah. It's crazy to think that um, Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker and uh jamal murray were all on the same kentucky team like like all this stuff like all the best dudes in the nba are like they played at kentucky for the most part so i will say and that leads me to my point about the hornets like with their drafting just like in agreement with you you can knock charlotte on the fact that they have drafted big white guys for a long time but you can't at the, i feel like everybody is lazy in the fact they always say that he uh, MJ only drafts um, Carolina players, which is actually, which is also not true. Yeah. He only hires people who are, (laughs) who played with him at Carolina. That is 100% true because you go down the list. (laughs) But the players he drafts are all from Kentucky. So he drafts a Kentucky guy this year. Yeah. And I just, I just think that you're what we are. We're in a position where we don't have the luxury of of trying to be super cute with stuff. And to be quite honest, like you said it before, and I, I personally sort of disagree with it, I don't have any problem with tanking. Um, I think you have to uh, I think you have to hit on a lot of draft picks and you have to have the right front office to make sure that you hit on some things. Yeah, but it never works, a- dude. When does it work? The 76ers? How does it work? They haven't won a championship. Well, if you're talking about championships, sure, but but then, yeah, it, then does, it doesn't work. That's what I'm talking about. You you're saying it doesn't work from the standpoint of being a championship, being a championship team, which one you could also the Spurs uh, did that. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. No, they did not. David, they had. <laughs> okay, let me. Let, I, I want to make sure that I get this right, and so you can extemporaneously talk if you would like to at the for the time being, but I want to make sure that I get this right because they had David Robinson and I want to look at their record the year before they were uh, bad for, they were bad for one year. That's tanking. No, it's not. No, I'm talking about year after year tanking can intentionally being bad. So you you get multiple doing what the 76ers did. That is tanking to me. 
It did okay. not work. You're talking about they, multiple years. Yeah. Sure. The, no, what what the San Antonio Spurs did for that one year is they had a lot of injuries and they just rode rode that ship to where it to right to the bottom and they drafted Tim Duncan. It worked out for them, which is what the Warriors did this past year because of all the injuries they had. Mm-hmm. And which it, which I think the Warriors are in, in a very similar spot to what the San Antonio San Antonio excuse me San Antonio Spurs were. I don't think from what I've read David Robinson was not as injured as he people were being led to believe, but because they were having such a bad year, they just said, well, he's any small injury was a big injury. So yeah, it's like Steph Curry's hand injury last year. And and we're seeing this firsthand, right? We didn't really like, we saw it, but we, we we didn't. Yeah. That's being opportunistic and making the most out of a bad situation. Sure. And I completely understand doing that in a one-off one, one year circumstance but shouldn't every year for the charlotte hornets be making the best out of a bad situation yeah exactly that's what that's why i i don't hate the gordon hayward signing right it's because i feel like they are like we have cap space we can get this guy we've always wanted this guy we're gonna have to overpay him but at the same time he's somebody we want here we know he's not gonna be terrible like Nick Batum is unless he just can't stay healthy. That's the only situation where this deal turns bad. And, and he, so in that sense, it becomes more sad than it becomes like y'all made a really bad choice. Exactly. No, what would be terrible is if, is if the, the Hornets were to, Oh, Lamella ball sprained his ankle in practice. He's got to sit out for six months, you know, and uh, not signing Gordon Hayward and, Oh, PJ Washington sprained his ankle in practice and he's got to sit out for six. Like the same thing that like doing that year after year, which is what the Sixers did forever. Like Embiid got drafted and didn't play for like two years. You remember that? Like, I mean, look, man, we went to, we, we, for your bachelor party, we went to a Charlotte Hornets game and for your bachelor weekend. And the reason why we went to the, the Charlotte Hornets game, they were the Bobcats at the time. The Bobcats, that's true. We went to the Bobcats game. And the reason why we went to the game that we chose, which was they were playing the 76ers, is because they were in the beginning stages or like, you know, mid beginning mid stages of their tanking. And they were literally the worst team in the NBA. And because of, because of that, we were able to see Nerland's Noel ride yes. the bench in that one year that he was supposed to ride the bench to like, because, you know, they were essentially they were in this process of when they would uh, draft a player, they would ice them for a year just to, you know, bring them back the next year. So like those were the tickets that we were really going to be able to afford. And it happened to fall on the weekend that we were celebrating your bachelor. That's the thing. And that was the thing about them. They did it so poorly. Like they were bad for so long because for every Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, they drafted, there was two Markel Fultz's or Jaleel Okafor or Nerlens Noel, like, so many bad guys, like it's it's so hit and miss at that point. Um, I just think it's a bad philosophy. It doesn't it it hurts the sport in as a whole. It hurts I, the integrity of um, just competition in general. I know that sounds sounds whiny and dumb, but like if you if you are competing against somebody else and trying to win, but the people who are in charge of you and your boss are want you to lose, like that. I think breeds complacency it breeds it breeds um poor uh competitive mindset so to speak yeah right. and and it creates a culture of of losers 
Yeah. If we're just being honest. And so that culture of losers will stick with us an organization much longer than it will stick with a player. Exactly. Uh, which, which perpetuates ideas that Charlotte is not a great place to play or whatever the case may be. When, when you compare it to a place that from when I look at weather stuff, like is much nicer to live in than a Portland or, and there's a much nicer place to live in than a Cleveland or is a much nicer a lot cheaper place to, too. What? Charlotte to live in where Portland Portland I was the thought you were saying Cleveland, Cleveland no, 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 no. Uh, maybe I don't know I haven't really maybe, looking yeah. at property values <laughs> but looking out there, but looking, <laughs> out there like I have, but looking out there I have assumed that um it does not cost much to live in this place you yeah. know uh having been to Cleveland before I have looked around and thought to myself I would never live here uh and so when I think about like when I think about Charlotte versus Cleveland, when I think about Charlotte versus Orlando, right? Like, have you ever driven around Orlando? The traffic yeah. is, is, is terrible. And, yeah, it's, it's, and it's terrible from a standpoint that is totally different from Charlotte in the sense that people drive like maniacs. People drive like maniacs and don't use their indicator lights, uh, their turning signals when they're merging traffic. And they drive like that, whether it's pouring down rain, in which it does a lot in Florida in the summertime, or if it's clear and it's totally dry outside. People are maniacs driving in Orlando, but that's neither here nor there. I think Charlotte is a better place to live than in a place where people come Very for, true. for tourism all the time. I think that Charlotte's a better place to live than OKC, and I've never even been there. Like, I just, like, Charlotte Let's should say not they have... They stole a team. They shouldn't have Char that team. Charlotte should not have the stink that they have on them. Yeah, you're right. To, the, to almost the same level as the Los Angeles Clippers. They should not have this level of stink that they have on them and from, a, from a, a place to live, a place to thrive and stuff like that for an NBA player with a lot of money. But what we're talking about is we have had so many years of mediocrity, and I don't even really know where, why I started this point, um, and maybe you can help me get back to that. But the fact of the matter is we should not be as, as bad of a place perception-wise as, as we are. And, you know, and that's a lot to do with the franchise itself. I say all that to say I'm excited about the Gordon Hayward pick. Excited is probably a little bit strong of a word. I'm interested to see how it's all going to work out. My biggest, yeah. my biggest reservation, one of my biggest reservations uh, in the signing of a Gordon Hayward is I just don't know how it's all going to fit together but that's not really my responsibility. Uh, none of this really is, but that's really not my responsibility to try to figure out how it's going to fit. I'm sure they'll figure that well, out. Well, they don't, they didn't um, have a small forward starting small forward. I mean, he slots in their lineup perfectly. He slots into the lineup perfectly, but I mean, from the standpoint of LaMelo ball, when he, the moment that he got drafted was talking about being the leader of, of the Charlotte Hornets franchise. He is not being paid like the leader of the Charlotte Hornets franchise. And currently he has no stats in a in college Australia wherever to be able to back up the fact that he should be the leader of the Charlotte franchise and a couple of days later we paid 30 plus million dollars for Gordon Hayward to essentially be not the leader of the Charlotte Hornets franchise so uh, yeah, I don't know how don't, that's going to work <laughs> I think that the way James Borrego works he is gonna take it to LaMelo he has said as much in interviews basically saying like, look, he's going to have to come in and learn the stuff that everybody else has to learn. He's going to have to deal with the stuff that everybody else has to deal with. Like, he's going to have to learn how to play good good enough defense. 
right? Like he's going to have to rework his shot, so to speak, which takes a lot of work. Now you can do it. People in Charlotte actually is low key decent at developing players shots over the years. Like Kimball Walker couldn't shoot when he was drafted in the Hornets. Uh, He developed a shot with the Hornets and other players have too. So I think that um, it makes sense to me because I'm thinking like, okay, now if LaMelo is running the point, like he has, he has somebody to pass it to who -hmm. can also, if he's healthy, create his own shots. Right. But if LaMelo is running the point, then what is, what is Graham doing? He could play off ball. And okay. they can they can both I, I, you know they weren't on prime time so I didn't watch like a whole lot of he played he played a, he yeah, played to, he uh, played off ball, off ball with like Terry Rozier I think Terry Rozier is going to be the odd man out in all this because like I mean un- unless they traded Graham because they felt like they could get more for him I I don't know uh, what what they're going to do about that but essentially you're going to have three primary ball handlers and one of which can't shoot yet but he was the number three overall pick so you kind of have to give him some playing time um yeah so that'll be interesting a lot of people have have mentioned them like trying to trade terry rozier which sinks stinks for terry because he actually had a good season last year after getting paid so hopefully he'll if they do trade him he ends up in a good spot that is not boston because he hated boston um so i guess we'll see man like Ultimately, I it's interesting. I am interested by the Charlotte Hornets, which is more than uh, I have been the past like three seasons. I think Gordon Hayward is a good player, and I think he will do good things in Charlotte. I think it will be impossible for him to really live up to that contract. But at the same time, um, as long as the cap, as long as the salary cap doesn't go down too much next year because of COVID stuff, because apparently this year it stayed the same and they had to kind of like fudge the numbers to get it to stay the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that is the part that worries me the most, not so much the actual number of his contract, but the the salary cap uh, the next couple of years. So we will see, but hopefully they can uh, draft that other guy. Hopefully LaMelo Ball develops into being a great NBA player and they can draft that number two, who's maybe even better than that. We'll be off, off and running. Yeah. I almost feel like, you know, this will, I guess, my final word on it. Like, I almost feel like if you really want to see how are they going to do um, against competition, you know, in the, uh, you know, in the East, really, is you kind of have to almost put them up against the teams in in their division, in their, their you know, their part of the bracket, so to speak, right? Like, they can't, they're not going to be able to compete with the Boston Celtics, Right. Um, at present, they're not going to be able to pe- compete with the Brooklyn Nets unless there's more catastrophic injuries there. They can compete with the New York Knicks. They can compete with the Cleveland Cavaliers. From what we've seen over the last few years, they can compete with the uh, Detroit Pistons. They can compete, I think, with the Orlando Magic, you know, for that, you know, again, you know, scrapping for an eighth seed. We haven't had much evidence that the Washington Wizards can stay healthy as a franchise, but, <laughs> you know, uh, all things being equal, if, especially if, if Bradley Beal doesn't force uh, a way out of, um, if he does force a way out of, out of uh, Washington, we can compete with Washington. And then you've got like the Atlanta Hawks of the world who's like, we don't really know until we know. Yeah, they said they've, they've been spending money. 
He's yeah. like Gallinari and bunch they've been of spending guys. money, but like then you look at it comes down to whether or not you actually believe in Trey Young, and I and I don't. I don't like him that much either. I, I don't believe in him. I think I, I think, think he's every good, but I, I don't think he's yeah. he's great. Everybody like, everybody when he was drafted, he was a second coming, uh, and there's you know it's hard to have a second coming, but like there's a second coming of of uh, Steph Curry, yeah, and and that's not who he is. I mean, he's shown to be that kind of a shooter in certain aspects. Not as good. He's not Steph Curry. I'm not. I'm not saying that he is, but he is that style of player, so to speak, to me. Yes, he is that style of player. But he came in a situation where it's like everybody wanted to grab him to be the next Steph Curry. Yeah. And yeah, he, he plus he was uh, picked instead of Luka Doncic, and that looks right. really bad now. Right. Yeah, you know, so. and then we're talking about like they've got Clint Capella down in the middle. Now they've got Onyeka. I, I just you just don't know with with uh, Atlanta and mm-hmm. and what we've seen so far from Trey Young is that he can either shoot you into games or shoot you out of them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They're they're an interesting team. The the Indiana Pacers uh, they have some expiring contracts this season, so to, they might. I think they don't have salary salary cap space either, so. I wonder if they're going to trade uh, Oladipo because apparently he does not want to be there long term. Um, so yeah, no, Oladipo's it was a situation where he thinks he's he's worth more than he is. Yeah, he he is an interesting player because when he's been good, he's been really good. But otherwise, he's just he's hurt a lot and and he hasn't had a great run of it. Um, so yeah, but the Miami Heat are are uh, doing great things down there. And I think they should be the favorites in the East this year outside of Brooklyn. The Brooklyn thing is really hard because we don't know exactly how good they're going to be. Like we, we don't know, know they're going to be good because we're still talking about maybe James Harden going. But yeah, yeah. That, that's not going to happen though. They don't have the assets to give. They would have to trade Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving to get him. He, mm. He's not, he like Houston stranger things have happened. Man. That that would be crazy. Like Houston's not just going to give him away just because he wants to go to Brooklyn. In fact, I would say he wants to go to Philly too. And Philly's in a much better position to, they have more assets to, to trade, to acquire him. All it takes is a, um, inexperienced GM and a bad owner. Uh, and what we have seen from Houston to this point right now is that they at least have a bad owner. <laughs> yeah, that is true. The first that's all it takes. Yeah. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. And then you have a Boston team who has like a million picks because they were able to get from under Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. But the, all those picks are gone now though, right? They are, but like, you know, that was the reason why they got, you know, the, the Jays up in up in Boston. So so like, you know, to your point, like which side note, I know we don't do a lot of jersey jersey talk on here. But did you see their uh, the Boston Celtics like city edition uniforms? No, is it good or bad? They're kind of sweet, man. They're modeled after the uh, the banners. Hmm. So they're oh, like, yeah, like, super, like the kind of white. Um, they're all white with, with the green. Yeah, it's pretty sick. Um, NBA jerseys are awesome. I feel like they they do a lot of fun things with their uniforms in the NBA that other leagues don't do, which mm-hmm. is kind of um, it's pretty fun. <clears throat> so yeah, yeah, man, 
I'm excited about it. I'm excited about this year. I think there's a lot of uh, chicanery happening in the uh, in the uh, uh, free market, right? And if we're being really honest, I don't think that there's any situation that the Lakers don't repeat this year. I think that the uh, Clippers are probably going to end up towards like the middle to bottom of the Western Conference. Um, you know, I think I just it, it, it's just not looking good for those guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's just this is going to be a really interesting season, especially when you talk about a, like a a uh, a very short turnaround into the the new year which is not going to favor the older guys or at least the ones who've been playing, who played all the way LeBron and the Lakers. Well, that's, that's the, that's the question, but LeBron's at a point where he can take off whatever time he wants. If we're being really honest. Well, yeah, but it's going to hurt their overall record and seating in the playoffs. That's true. That's true. Not that I, who do you you think, I don't know if it'll matter. Who do you think will challenge them in the West? If anybody does, it'll be interesting to see what uh, the Portland trailblazers do this year. Um, I don't, I, I'm wondering why, uh, you, you have some on the, the trailblazers. They, uh, they, they got Enos Kanter back. Mm, yep. I was yeah. hoping that we would, we would be in the running for like a, uh, Steven Adams, but you know, I, I know it was a trade, but like, yeah, you know, I just was kind of hoping that that would, you know, that seems like, like an easy guy to have in Charlotte that could produce some, you know, a little bit. Yeah. That, I, the, that, I like- the Hornets, that the Hornets fan base would love. I would have liked that move or a move like that. A guy who's really good at, but not quite good enough to yeah. get. He's a character to too, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyways, so I, I also think I, what I'm interested by uh, is how, how the, the sons. I'm interested in how Chris Paul justified going to go, going to the, uh, going to the sons. I don't know if that's going to work like he thinks it is. With, um, hold on, say that one more time. Which player are you talking about? Chris Paul to the Suns. You don't think it's going to be a good decision for him? I don't think it's going to be. I would think that somebody at his point of his career would go to a place where he knows that this is going to be a uh, a perennial um, or on the cusp of a championship. And I don't see that from the Suns. He doesn't have any say, there. though. I mean, he probably does have some say, but he 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 uh, he, he was to, traded. He went to this, yes, but he went to the Suns because he was okay with going to the. But Suns. he didn't go to the Suns. The Suns traded for him. I, I hear you, but like at the same time, from everything that we've heard, it seems like he is he is appreciated being teamed up with Devin Booker. Oh, I, yeah, he loves Devin Booker. I I think he he was very much in favor of that move. But what I was saying is, is I don't think he really can just pick and choose where he goes. Like, of the teams that he could maybe yeah choose to go. Apparently, now I will say I will tell you this. I I did hear that like the Lakers kind of sniffed around, and he was like, "Nah, I don't want to go to the Lakers," which was really was interesting, interesting because him and LeBron are supposed to be real tight. But the I liked him going to the Suns. I thought that was a really good move for that team. I think it'll put them on that next tier and get them finally back into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they haven't been in the playoffs since uh, Steve Nash was there, right? And, and I can't speak on that for sure. But what I find interesting is that their their coach is is excellent. 
he yeah, seems they, like he's got that locker room, you know, wrapped around his finger, man. Yeah, and they, they have some good young pieces, and that they, they did they showed a lot of fight in the bubble last year. So you hope that they build momentum off of that. And with, like, I'm surprised he wouldn't have gone to the to the Clippers. Though. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I see that. Well, I which know, I mean, like he was already at the Clippers, but at the same time, like. You know, Doc's not there anymore. Most of that team is not there anymore. None of that team really is there anymore. Now they have Serge Ibaka and they've got, you know, I, I, it just seems like it would fit more with him being uh, in a Clippers jersey next year. Yeah. I, he is an interesting player. He's very, I, apparently, like, he seemed, it seems like you either love him or you hate him if you play with yeah. if if guys play with him. He, He's not an easy person to get along with all the time. So Dwight um, Howard, you know, got got paid a little bit to go to to the 76ers. So it's all fun. Yeah. That was that was weird, man. <laughs> I don't he's a weird player now. He was the he was the, he ended up being the goon in the in the in the playoffs. Like he ended like, up being he ended up being a gnat. Yeah, he was the goon. He ended up, no, like he, he was wasn't the, a goon. He was a gnat. He was a, he was a stereotype. He was a goon. He tried he to goon. goon. He was he, a gnat. It didn't work out for him all the time. He was like, an annoyance. That's he what was he very, was. Yeah, it was he goon. Wasn't, That's he what wasn't, goons no. do. No, not at all. Goons can shove and push around and all that other stuff. That's like, what he tried to do like against people, Jokic. People, it didn't you know, work. You know, you know, people, like fan bases love goons, right? You know, goons would be like a Markeith Morris or both of the Morris brothers for that matter. Markeith or Marcus Morris, right? Goons would be somebody like like a uh, like a Pat Beverly. You know, like he, he you know, yeah, these are, he is. Goons, yeah, Pat Beverly right? is a goon. Fan bases love Pat Beverly. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Those Those are goons. That's not what Dwight Howard is. Oh, Dwight that is, is not. That's not his identity. At, like to his you, core, that's not what he who he is as a person. Like even he when tried to be playoffs, that this year, even when you looked in the playoffs, there were times where it's like LeBron was done with him. <laughs> yeah. Like he would do something, and LeBron is like, "What? Like, what? Are, what are you doing? Get him out of here. Get get him on the bench." <laughs> yeah, he was. He tried. I'm not saying that he 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 was successful at it, but he was very. He tried to be a goon. I'll put it that way. He tried That's, to be a goon. He yes. tried to slide. He tried to fill. Yes, he tried to fill that role. Yes. Um, man, I feel bad for for Javale McGee though. Man, why he opted in? Right, staying with the no. Lakers. No, no, they traded him to Cleveland. Oh, he opted in. <laughs> then they traded him. Yeah. Oh, why did they do that? Yeah. So we pretty much aren't going to hear got, from Javale McGee anymore. Yeah, because they got like. <laughs> They got Matras Harrell and Mark Gasol and everything. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That, I mean, that that is an upgrade for the Lakers. I see why they would have done that. Why would you? Why would anybody trade for him though? Like, I I think I, he's still, still riding. I, I think he's still got a little bit of juice from from his run run in uh, in uh, Golden State, and really his first year in Los Angeles, he was actually pretty decent. Yeah, he wasn't bad. He's not a terrible player, but like trading for him he seems like the like the third guy in a deal oh i think like, he was so who was the well the first never guy? mind never mind in exchange for javel mcginn in a second round pick um yeah yeah exactly like that they that is that's weird to me but i think whatever. it's more of like they were trying to make some room yeah that i mean mark that makes sense and a bunch of other players mm-hmm they, they, I, I will say they've they've made some 
what seems like some more savvy free agent moves this year uh Rob Polinka has. So maybe he can uh run it back and they can win it back to back. We shall see. I don't see any situation where they won't. They're um, definitely they definitely should be the favorites. They should be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see how you could bet anybody else above them right now. So, but no, I agree with you. And, and to sum all this up, I'm really excited to watch the Charlotte Hornets this year. I think it, it it's going to be a lot more fun and interesting than it's been in a while. So big ups to them for being fun and interesting. And hopefully that's all we need. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever happens, happens, but we're fun and interesting. All right, man. Well, thank you again for coming on. Of course, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Heck yeah. All right. Thank you to Michael for joining me to talk about all things Charlotte Hornets and NBA draft. Thank you to you all for listening to me go on and on about the Panthers and the Hornets. Hope you guys have a wonderful week. Happy Thanksgiving. Stay safe out there. I know COVID is raging right now, so take care of yourselves. And hope you come back again and listen soon. I may not post an episode again next week. may try and take it easy for the holiday. But if I don't, I will sure enough be posting one soon after that. So thank you guys once again. Hope you all have a great week. You want to find me on Instagram or Twitter? That is great. Hajito88, or just send me uh, some other form of communication. Appreciate you guys. Talk to you soon.